Thank you very much. I thought I was introduced last night. Maybe this is a totally different crowd, I don't know. But it's a great privilege to be here again tonight and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to talk about a father who welcomed his son home. It's in the 15th chapter of Luke. I don't think I'll read it, it's rather long. But you know the story. This man, young man, wanted to be lost. He was tired of home. He wanted to go out on his own. He wanted all he could get, as far away from his father and home as he could get, and to live as he pleased. He wanted his inheritance now, so he went to his father, and his father agreed, because that was the law of the land at that time in the Middle East. And this young man in Jesus' story sets off for a distant country with all of his money and all the things that he got from his father. And out of sight of anyone who might know or criticize, he was free to do as he pleased. There are thousands of runaways every year. I realize many have left because of abuse at home. Teenagers are not the only runaways in our society. Hundreds of thousands of men and women run away through divorce. And I fear that that's the position of thousands of people right here in Kentucky. He was running away from his father. He was running away from himself. He was running away from God. And around us here today, people are doing the same. This boy squandered his wealth in wild living. He spent it all and had nothing to show for it. The Bible says in Isaiah, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And the picture of this young man, recognition of his condition and need. Jesus said he began to be in need. A famine came, and a famine always comes. And probably for the first time in his life, he had a need of material things. His physical hunger is a picture of our spiritual hunger. Physical hunger is a picture of our spiritual hunger. When he came to himself, the scripture says, he came to his senses. He realized that there was an alternative to the way he was living. He had already gone to try to get a job. None of his old friends would even speak to him when they knew he had no money. He had lost it all. So he tried to get a job and finally he got a job feeding pigs. Can you imagine what that would mean to a young Jewish man? Feeding the pigs? How low can you get? The famine had come. The alternative tonight for him, or that night, was his father's home. And he began to think about it. He was very humble. He wasn't arrogant, but he was sorry. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And he said, here's what I'm going to say to my father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, 
and am no more worthy to be called your son. No arrogance, not trying to justify what he had done. He realized he had sinned, and he cast himself on the mercy of his father. The scripture says about this young man that he arose and came to his father. He arose. I'm going to ask you tonight to arise and come to Jesus. But then, that's not the main part of the story to me. The main part of the story is what the father is thinking and doing. All the time the son had been away, the father had been waiting, praying, longing to see his son. I heard a great sermon on television on this subject by Dr. Paul Osteen, who's both a surgeon and a clergyman. Dr. Osteen asked this question. If you had to describe God's greatest moment, what would that be? For example, Dr. Osteen asked, would you consider it to be his creation? He said, think a minute, our son creates a gravitational system so powerful it holds the rest of the planets in their perfect and timely orbit around it. Our sun is so big that if it were hollow, it would hold one million planets as big as our Earth. Some stars are a hundred times bigger than our sun, and the closest star to us is more than five trillion miles away. Isaiah 40, 26 tells us, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Think of all those millions and billions and trillions of stars and worlds, and God calls them all by name. Or would you consider God's creation of man and woman to be his greatest moment? Dr. Osteen said that every time he did surgery and opened up a body and looked inside, there was a moment of mystery and awe because of the profound consistency of the human body, even down to the most minute detail. God is a great God. He has no beginning and he has no end, and there's none of us that can really understand him, except when he reveals himself to us. But there came a time when man rebelled against God. He had the ability of choice. He had the ability of free will. And in the Garden of Eden, man rebelled against God. God had said it should be this way, and they said, no, it's going to be this way. And that was the moment that the fellowship with God was broken by man. And from that moment on, the word sin came into the vocabulary of mankind. Man sinned against God. And Adam sinned, and he passed on the ability to sin to the next generation, to the next generation, down to you and me. So that we're all sinners. The Bible says we've all broken God's laws. Can you imagine that we're resisting the mighty God of heaven? In one cataclysmic moment, man fell out of relationship with God. He fell into sin and separation from him. We all know that something's wrong in the world. 
but we don't know how to make it right. But God did not leave us alone and trapped. God came to live with us. God was made visible in human flesh, according to 1 Timothy 3.16. And that human flesh was Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you see God. He is God. And he came for a special purpose. He came to rescue you and me from our sins and to give us a whole new life and to guarantee us that when we died we would go to heaven. God came to live with us. He was made visible through Christ. And that could be a picture of God at his best. But there's a greater moment still. There's the cross. Well, on that cross he hung. It wasn't just the physical sufferings of Jesus when they put the nails in his hands and the spear in his side. It was the spiritual suffering. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, God had laid on him the sins of the whole world. Your sins and my sins were laid on Jesus. That is a great mystery. But the scripture teaches that. And it's the only way we'll ever be forgiven is by the way of the cross. He said, it is finished. And when he said that, there was an earthquake. The rocks split apart and darkness covered the earth. And we see God in Jesus dying in sin at the hands of his own creation. Can you imagine that? He's doing it voluntarily because he loves you. God is a God of love. But Dr. Onstein pointed out a snapshot of God at perhaps his greatest moment, as illustrated in our story. We see this father. Every day since he had left home, the father had sat on the porch. I assume it's on a farm. And he had watched for the return of his son. He knew his son was going to come back someday. But he didn't know how long. And he watched for him. He had waiting for him a ring, a robe, new shoes, everything that the young man would want. And one day, he's been waiting there for weeks, maybe months. He looked down the road and saw what he thought to be a familiar figure. And the father ran to meet him. The father gathered up his robes. They don't do that in the, that Eastern world. A father would never gather up his robes. But this father did. And when he got to his, fa to his son, the father didn't ask him where all the money was. He didn't ask him all the women he had slept with. He didn't ask him if he had some sexually transmitted disease. He didn't ask him about all the sins he had committed. He didn't ask him to clean up or sober up or change his clothes. His father didn't judge him or condemn him. The Bible says that all the father did was to put his arm around his son and kiss him and kiss him and kiss him and kiss him. And between all those kisses, he was saying, welcome home, 
welcome home, welcome home. The father was not concerned about where the son had come from or what he had done. His interest was the fact that the son had come home. God is not willing to judge you and condemn you. He just takes off our tattered, sin-stained clothes and gives us his own robe of righteousness. And when we go before the judgment of God, we're clothed not in our own righteousness, which we have none. We're clothed in the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Because you see, Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive. The debt has already been paid. Not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us through his death on the cross and by his resurrection. I'm not going to heaven because my name is Billy Graham or I've preached to a lot of people. Not at all. I'm going because of Jesus and what he did on that cross. But God is a God of judgment too. If we turn down and don't come home and find some other way, you'll be at the judgment and it'll be a terrifying time for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not concerned about where we've been as he is about where we're going. Where are you going? Are you sure that if you died at this moment you'd go to heaven? You can make sure tonight. He's waiting to receive you with mercy and love. The day will come when God will judge the world. But you won't be there if you know Christ. Today is a day of grace and salvation for all who will come. But beware of that attitude that many of us will have. Many people say, I know I'm on the wrong road, but I'm not tired of it yet. I'll repent and come back to God somewhere down the line. Not likely. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. There's a little voice inside that tells you you need to make this commitment.